0: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure and will to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The second reading comes from John's Gospel, uh, chapter 17, and there are two parts. Firstly, we're going to read 17 verses 1 to 5, and then from verses 20 to 26. That's John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And continuing from verse 20 of chapter 17. that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, uh, loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me,
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what do you preach on when it's been almost a year since you've been at church? Well, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about church. I must admit, I did get a bit fidgety on Wednesday night when Dan Andrews called a 10pm press conference. But we're here. Praise God. And today we're looking at Ephesians 1 and John 17. We'll be sort of doing a bit of a thematic approach, so we'll beam both of those passages this morning. You'll notice, though, that the word church doesn't actually appear in either of those passages. Nevertheless, both have lots to say about it. What church is, uh, God's heart and his passion for it, uh, and our relationships in it and to it. Uh, But let me uh, begin with another story, a story. Uh, A while ago, I was in a meeting with other church leader type people, and someone suggested uh, it's uh, important that we're all well-trained in working with volunteers. Good thought, I thought. Uh, But there was something in particular about that statement that grabbed my attention, and it was the word volunteer. And it got me thinking. Is that what we are? A group of volunteers. Is that what church is? A voluntary organisation like Rotary or Scouts or a footy club, except maybe a little bit weirder. At one level it is, right? Our participation is voluntary. We choose to come to church or we choose not to. We choose when and how much and how we'll get involved. So is church just another club, another voluntary organisation, or is there something more to it than that? Let me pray as we dig into God's word. Our loving Father, I pray that you would be with us as we sit under your word and hear your heart and plans for church. Amen. Well, if we want to understand the nature of church, we need to actually go back to the beginning, because if you want to understand what church is, you actually have to understand first who God is, because church is nothing less than an extension of God's own life. Now, if we're going to go back to the beginning, the most obvious place to go is what? Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is, however, more to say than this. More to say about the beginning than this. And we see that from our reading in John 17. Now, in John 17, if you've got it there in front of you, uh, Jesus uh, prays on the night before that he goes to the cross. And he prays for all sorts of things. But in this prayer... He gives us a glimpse into something extremely profound. He gives us a glimpse into the very nature and the life of God. Verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Hear what Jesus says. He says there was something or rather someone before the beginning. For before the beginning was God and more than that before the beginning before the world began there was relationship the father in relationship with Jesus the son in whom he gloried we glory in many things don't we in sporting victories in job titles getting a HD at uni a perfectly poured latte beating our PB in the last park run posting sweet memes saw a post yesterday, teen devotion. Uh, if God still loves me, why can't I get a lot of likes on my memes? <laughs> but what we glory in most, I think, are others, people, relationships. And God does as well. The Father loves and glories in his Son. The Son loves and glories in his Father. And the Spirit, he, he seeks to lift and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so deep is this divine glorifying uh, this relationship of glory and love that Jesus says in verse 21 that they're perfectly united. The Father is in him and he is in the Father. You see this the Trinity is not some sort of mathematical trick. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, but their life is in each other. They glory in each other. Their love for each other is so perfectly selfless. Their relationship is so deeply unified that they are one. Now, the question is what does this have to do with church, right? The answer is this that is church. In the beginning was church. Our church is a translation of the Greek word ecclesia, which simply means gathering. And so, here in the beginning is the first church Father, Son, and Holy Spirit gathered together in perfect unity. Have you loved something so much that you just had to share it with others? Maybe it was a book that you love, or some brilliant piece of music. Maybe it was a funny cat video or your latest biking achievement on Strava. When we love something, it's natural to want to share it with others, right? And the amazing thing is that despite the fact that God's church was pretty fantastic, just the way it was, he wanted to share it. And if we look at verse 26, the climax of Jesus' prayer, we see it. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Listen to this in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. When Jesus talked about the first church, he talked about his relationship with the Father and the Spirit, them being in each other. Well, here uh, Jesus prays that the Father's love would also be in us and that he himself would be in us. Jesus is praying that we would share in that relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the relationship they've shared since before creation. And that's what this is. That's what our life together is. God bringing us into his relationship. God sharing the church that he has enjoyed forever. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? Isn't that an amazing way to think about what we are here doing this morning? Now let's turn now to Ephesians chapter 1. And here we see that coming to church with God wasn't an afterthought. It was actually God's intention from eternity. Uh, Ephesians begins with this absolutely joyous burst of praise for all the wondrous spiritual blessings that God has lavished on us now these can be taken as God's personal blessings towards me or towards you and they are but there's another dimension to it you look through the pronouns in the passage and they're not singular, they're not I or me they're plural, they're we they're us, they're you they're you's Notice the nature of these particular spiritual blessings. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us to to adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ. These blessings are about God's uh, plan from before creation. They're worth rejoicing about. And they tell us that even from before the beginning, church was in the heart of God. But if we keep reading, we'll notice that from before the beginning, church wasn't just a part of God's purposes. It was central to them. Verse 10, God's great, big, cosmic plan, the mystery that's now revealed to us and to the whole universe is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The things on earth, that includes us. Humanity brought into relationship with, with God, reconciled to God, humanity brought into church. Brothers and sisters, church isn't just an add on, it's not the optional sunroof or the leather seats in the luxury model. Church is at the center of God's plans now because it was a center of God's plans from before creation, from eternity. At this point, I think it's important to stop for a little bit, to stop and reflect and remember what it cost God to make this, to make church possible. Ephesians 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Out of his infinite love, God created us to share his love with us. He didn't need a friend. He had the perfect church. He created us to share his love. How should you re- respond to a love like that? Or well, in love, in gratitude, in worship. That makes sense, right? Well, we did the opposite. That's not our story. Our story is pretty much before we were out of nappies we turned our back on God. We didn't want to share God's love. We didn't want to be in him. We didn't want to have find the centre of our lives in him. Instead, we wanted to be the centre of our own lives. You see, you don't have to be a murderer to be a sinner. You don't have to be a thief or a liar or just unpleasant. It's not, first of all, about the acts you do. It's about who you love and who you live for that's why Ephesians 2 says by nature we're all under God's judgment left to ourselves that's the path we all choose choosing away from God choosing out of his family choosing out of his church but the wonderful news of the gospel is that God has given us a second shot Through Christ, God invites us back into relationship. He invites to adopt us. He offers to adopt us back into relationship, into his family. But that invitation doesn't come without consequences. It comes with a cost. In fact, it was the ultimate cost. Not for us, but for God. When Christ shed his blood on the cross. The gospel says that through Christ's sin-forgiving death, through his death-defeating resurrection, Jesus makes a way back into relationship with God. The gospel says he's made it possible for us to be in his church when we trust Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And that invitation is open to everyone. Have you ever loved something so much that you do anything to share it? God does. He loves us. He loves his church. And he did anything to share it when Christ shed his blood on the cross. God's intention, however, was never for salvation, just to be about you and to be about me. Salvation isn't just a kind of series of vertical relationships that we Have with God, and we just sort of sit beside each other. That's not what church was meant to be. It's also about God bringing people into relationship with others. It's about us coming to church with each other. From Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're in God's household, we're fellow citizens, we're here together. There's lots in Ephesians about our relationship with God, but there's so much about our relationships with each other. Here, in Ephesians 2, Jews and Gentiles coming together, something that was unthinkable, but them coming together in God's church. Believers called to love, to serve, to build, to encourage, to bear with each other, to forgive each other, to be in relationship with each other. God never intended salvation just to be an individual matter. When we were brought into relationship with God, we were brought into relationship with each other. And these relational bonds that we share in Christ aren't just a voluntary association. I like you and you like me. Let's hang out until we have a fight and don't like each other anymore. They're more than friendship, they're family. That's how the Bible speaks of church. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters together. And the thing is, you get to choose your friends, but you don't get to choose your family, do you? You're born into it. And by the Holy Spirit, we are born again to new life and into a new family. As believers, we have a whole bunch of new brothers and sisters not because you chose them, but because God chose you. Just like you have biological siblings, not because you chose to have them, but because your parents chose to have you. Church is family, but our bonds transcend even our blood ties. The word the Bible uses for these bonds is koinonia, or fellowship. This means we are United together not by blood, but by something much, much stronger, more enduring and more profound, we united together in the spirit, by the Holy Spirit. I love my wife Liz very much. But deeper than our emotional connection, and deeper than our unity in marriage is our unity in Christ. In eternity, our marriage may cease, but we will always be brother and sister in Christ. And that bond is something that we all share into eternity. Well, let me just summarise. At the heart of God's plan for the universe is church. And at the heart of church is relationship God's triune relationships, Father, Son, and Spirit, our adoption, our being brought into that relationship through Jesus Christ, and our relationship to each other as brothers and sisters through the Holy Spirit. I want to finish today by just teasing out a few implications of all of this for our life together. I won't be able to say everything, but I can say a few things. First thing, what exactly is the nature of church? I've kind of given it away there in the headline. But let me begin by answering by what it's not. It's not some human-created hierarchical institution. It's not that. It's not uh, uh, just a building. It's not a ritual activity or a space for private communion with God. That's not primarily what it is. It's not a nightclub or a rock concert somewhere where we go to consume It's not just a school where we just come to learn. Church is relationship with God, with each other, in Christ. St. Jude's, Church of All Nations just over the road, St. Michael's, North Carlton, all the local churches around Melbourne, Australia and the world, all churches that call Jesus Lord embody that reality. And church isn't just what we do on Sundays. Gathering together is a super important expression of that for all the things that we do. But church isn't just this. It's not even just Sunday plus your small or connect group. It's our relationships, our life together. In Acts 2, uh, the first church gathered after Pentecost, Jesus had ascended to the Father's side and poured out his spirit and he created church listen to the description verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts it's a marvellous picture they met together around Christ to pray to praise to hear the word of God a bit like today but it's more than just a church service. It's love, it's care, it's hospitality, it's sharing life together. And I must say, I think that works so much better when we're in person. Online church has been such a grace and we can be blessed by it because our God is good and sovereign but it's much easier to love each other when we're present and involved in each other's lives. So let me encourage you, uh, if you're at home, to come, if you can, and to keep coming to church. Now, before I said there was lots of things that church wasn't, here's another. Church is not Rotary. It's not Scouts. It's not a footy club. Church is not just another voluntary organisation Because it's not something, as a Christian, I choose to be part of. As a Christian, church is something I am part of. Now, we do make decisions about where and when to meet. But because God has brought me into his family, I am part of church. And that finds its right expression in being part of a local church. Now, of course, we can choose how we act in our church relationships. We can choose how we talk, how we listen We can choose how we welcome and how we care for others. We can choose how much we let others into our lives. We can choose to be present or even not to be present, just like we can with our biological families, right? But what you have is either good or bad relationships, not an absence of relationships. And however we act in our church relationships, because God has made us part of the church and called us to be a part of it, However we act in those relationships, we will be accountable to God for that. Approaching church with a voluntarist mindset is much more a product of Western culture, I think, than of the scriptures. And that mindset often comes with other Western cultural mindsets of individualism and consumerism. When I approach church like that, uh, I'm participating how and when I want. And if church no longer serves my needs or I've got something better to do with my Sundays, well, then I withdraw. That's not how God calls us to come to church. I'm going to read some verses from Hebrews chapter 10, and they're often quoted in relation to church and with good reason. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us that church is actually good for us. Just as a coal uh, stays hot when it sits in the fire, a meeting together regularly with believers helps us uh, persevere. It encourages us. It helps us grow. And of course, if you take that same coal out of the fire, it will start to grow cold when you take it away from the other coals. Neglecting church isn't good for us or our faith. But I would say the focus of these verses isn't so much on that actually, what I should expect to get out of church. It's more about what I should do when I get there. Consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. You see, we come to church not primarily to be served, but to serve. And we have a great example of that attitude, don't we? The Lord Jesus Christ, the servant king. We're not disconnected individuals. We're not individualistic consumers. We're brothers and sisters called to love and serve each other. I remember an older Christian sister uh, sharing with me one day. Uh, It wasn't advice. It was just something that she used to do. What she did, what she'd been doing every Sunday morning for 40 years. She said, each week I pray, God, show me who to serve today. Give me your eyes to find them, your mind to know what to do with them and your heart to love them. And of course we can also pray uh, to God, that we might be ministered to as well when we come to church, uh, one final implication we saw church was at the beginning of god 's purposes and at the center of god 's purposes and it 's also the end, the goal of god 's purposes. Have a look revelation twenty one will be on the screen. I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down. Uh, out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away what an encouraging what a stunning picture of God's glorious future. And notice what it is. Not some kind of floaty, floaty business on clouds with harps. Not some sort of disembodied, uh, transcendent spiritual state. It's church, right? God with us. Us with each other. All gathered around him to his eternal glory. And what we experience now each week, as imperfect, as as frail as it appears, is a taste of that glorious future. Are you passionate about church? I hope you are, because you can be sure that God is our life together is precious. So precious that that Jesus shed his blood for it. And it's worth investing our time and our lives into it in all the beautifully diverse ways God has gifted us and God calls us to. And so today, as we come back together, is a chance to celebrate it's a day to remember how important this is. And it's, a, it's an opportunity to renew our commitment to it. If you'd like to do that, please pray with me. Today, God, we celebrate you. We celebrate and praise you for your selfless love. We praise you and thank you uh, for your grace in sharing it with us. We thank you for this wonderful gift of church that occupies such a treasured place in your heart. Help us all love each other to come to church for each other and treasure this like you do. Amen.